0: My first time was scary. A relief. Awkward.
1: My first time. First time. My
2: first time.
0: And now for first time stories, Angela.
1: So, I started my periods at the age of 11, but before I talk about when I first started, um, I'd say between 8 to 10 or 9 to 10, there was a group of people who came to talk to us about periods. And then I remember going home and trying to ask my mom, I don't understand what they meant. And she's like, I think you will understand it better rather when you start and forgot about it. Then we moved to England and um, I went to the toilet. So I, I'd say around 11, noticed that white discharge that they talked about. But my mom was at work and my dad was home with us. And so I didn't know where my mom kept the pads in the house. Um, I didn't know what to do. So I'm like, I don't know how to have this conversation with my dad, so I gained the courage and I just went up to him and I said to him, "Okay, so I have uh, started my periods, but I don't know where you know mom keeps the pads. Um, Do you mind just taking me to the supermarket to buy pads?" And my dad, without a flinch of an eye, or just was very calm, easy. Get in the car. That's cool. I'll take you. Went to the supermarket. I said, he said, he said, I don't know what you need exactly, but this is the aisle. Pick what you need. So I did that, picked, I knew at least how to put the pad on and life moved on. When my mum came, you know, I told her I started my appearance, she's panicking. I said, no, don't worry, dad's got it. Um, not to realise that my story was unique, that this is a very uh, unique journey. I'm, I'm privileged to have had that conversation and, and it to be so smooth and easy with my dad. And I remember calling my dad that and telling him, I never knew that what you did 20 years ago would mean so much now. And so that is my first time story. First time stories, Mo.
2: It started, uh, I was 13 and it was during my last year of primary school. So I did my KCPE, and then I was with my family doing Christmas lunch and I noticed, oh, I have my periods. So from this knowledge that I standard from classics to all the way to out of my primary school. I knew what were periods and then what to use. So I didn't necessarily have to tell anyone what had happened to me. I just went to my room. I took the, uh, the packets of pads and I used them. Fast forward, I didn't get period until like one year later.
0: That's when I had to talk to someone. Thank you. Mo and Angela, welcome.
2: <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you,
0: Janet.
1: Thanks for having us. It's
0: always so good to just sit with with people in this space, people who are in the space of amplifying and advocating for menstrual justice. And for some reason, you got me choked up with that little last bit when you talked about thanking your dad. Is this why the two of you, based on your first time stories, what then informed the fight and the, and the call to action to say, I'm going to be one of the people who makes a difference in girls' lives. Any one of you can go even tell me about how you came together.
1: We have an organization that we call the Bigger Sister, um, Sister Speaks Global. Um, so that one's a female events company and uh, we started it in April, um, 2019. Mo had some heels that she wanted to get rid of. Her size is quite different from you know her close family members, so she can't necessarily give to them. So she approached me and our other business partner, Angela, to um, get some heels and instead of getting those heels and just giving them away, why don't we ask for pads instead? As May twenty eighth is coming up. So we selected some organizations that we could support. And then um, that's how Heels for Pads was formed. That's why it's called Heels for Pads. And so in that journey and in that process is where now we all discovered the challenges that people face in the country in terms of period poverty. So we all have different entry points. So for mine And that's why I called my dad to tell him, thank you. Because in that journey, I came to realize that uh, even big women like us still can't even talk to their husbands you know I can at this time I can call my dad and say oh you know when you're coming home please buy me some pads." it wouldn't be a big deal but like when I when we would talk to girls they're like no I can't you know I can't Mm -hmm. talk to a boy and so for me um I advocate for men to be part of this conversation and it requires both of us but also the other thing is um questioning our behavior as women like Don't hide your pad when going like you're carrying a a gun to the toilet. So part of that is also changing how I view uh, things around menstrual products.
2: From my first period um, and my experience growing up in the ru- in rural Kenya and having no one to openly talk to, especially at the household level, uh, was sort of my inspiration. So when I came here to Nairobi, of course, to do my college, I picked up volunteering. Um, that's when I encountered um, street-connected girls and women, and I understood that it's not always about food. There are other things that those women suffer. And when I got talking to some of the girls who were telling me what they use, sometimes very dirty clothes. Sometimes they have to improvise with it and like putting ash so that they can, it can absorb. And I and, you know this particular girl, um, I'll call her W, she told me that she has so much pain and um, she goes to pee. So, and it has happened for months and months and months and months. So I took on, on my social media and I told my friends, you know what? I'm going to Madhari, uh next Saturday uh, for a feeding program, but I want to take pads. I didn't understand the power of social media. And we just need to tell people there's a problem and where it happens and how they can come in. The conversation from, you know, donating pads and exchanging them to the experience at uh, the slum level and, the support I garnered online, it's informed and affirmed that, you know, this is something we can do. It, it just, you know, took
0: a life of its own and here we are. This is what happens though. You feel like it's a one-off and then you're here, what, three years later? Some people would ask, you know, why? What is it that's kept you going three years later when I'm sure there were times that you were like, is it really worth it, Angela?
1: Um. So my story in terms of why I do what I do... Is I was looking for what my purpose would be. What What's that fire in my belly? Why was I brought into this life? And um, I had had preconceived ideas of what that would look like. Um, and I watched Cheryl with Oprah, and she's talking about her book cleaning and how she wants to, you know, do, you know, empower women. And so I sat there and thought, okay, cool, she's doing that for women. Who's doing that for girls? And so prior that, I was already teaching her how to manage her money because I'd been working since I was 16. And I, I was like, she needs to be better at saving. And this is how she needs to do it. If someone had really sat down with me, maybe I would be a millionaire. Obviously, I wouldn't have. But. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so then that's how I started Stuff for Girls. And then when I moved back, that was my intention.
0: Yeah, I was to, so, to follow to follow through with that. Yes.
1: So during that journey, and also like, you know, as Mo had mentioned, going to different spaces, so learning the experiences that people in streets, uh, street children would have, people in informal settlements would have, people in rural area, and that's why I keep going because I'm also a woman and I know, and and, and uh, should I have daughters, I'd want them to enter into this world in a much better better position. Than yeah. Did.
0: I'm glad you took us back to that from purpose to visualizing it and envisioning it to life. And again, what you said, period poverty, relatively new term for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it, it keeps evolving. Yeah. And it was for me. I didn't know. that. Oh, yeah. I it's
1: didn't. like poverty to me. It was just poverty. I didn't know that there's such a thing.
0: More to add on to what Angela said, it's the why you stay. Then you can also begin to tell me a little bit about Um, how much you've seen things shift from the time you all started doing this, whether you still hold out hope that it's going to be a much bigger shift. I I keep going back to a girl
2: who grew up in a rural uh, area, and I am a product of a teenage mom. So it's very important that periods in this century, it shouldn't rob you of an opportunity to thrive in life or, you know, for your personal development. So for me, that's my personal why, that I'm, I'm giving other girls second chances my mom didn't have, and now uh, being on the ground and uh, understanding how different girls and women experience their periods, um, you know, for example, working up in masturbate, we, you know, girls experience crazy inequalities and abuses from FGM, so. What is that experience like for that girl in Marsabit? Come in Kibera, facilities and uh, sanitation uh, infrastructures. How is that waking up in the morning and you don't even know where to get proper water to wash or clean? These eye-opening experiences and observations are my why. And also seeing the global momentum that is happening now. Every person, whether private, public, they're giving you know at least attention to menstruation menstrual health um because it's very key in terms of productivity in workplaces you know girls stay in school and that's how we will achieve the very ambitious UN SDG goals and as a friend of ours who say Kenya is already the Scotland of Africa because of amazing policies and so many incredible advocates like ourselves who are, you know, lending their voices in the space. So um, that's why we wake up in the morning and uh, talk about periods.
0: I love it. Kenya being the Scotland um, and that hopefully we can get to that place where we actualize it to the implementation. Yeah. Um, You know, I, I already campuses in various parts of the US ETC are, are having products. You all have also done a lot of intervention. There's the advocacy and there's the impact yeah. um, and about how the two worlds have come together. It's been three years. Do you feel like there's been a massive shift or do you still sometimes sit together and say, oh, that's so much more to be done? Is there a shift from the first time you put a microphone in front of your faces and talked about this issue and went in the ground Till now, and what does that shift look like?
1: If I'm honest, I see more change globally. I don't necessarily see it here, just because right now um, pads are not not that we have uh, know of. Currently, pads are not being distributed in schools by the government. Um, maybe that will be implemented. Uh, maybe COVID has a part to play. I think COVID has also affected a lot of people people who went from um you know low income has become no income so that has led to a high rate of teenage pregnancy fgm has gone up so i felt like maybe we were going forward before covid um but then you know during covid you have places like australia making change new zealand sometimes it's called the little tremors that you don't re- recognize and perhaps a little tremors that, this conversation right here and uh, you know i was c- encouraged by my auntie the other day um who lives in canada and canada have put aside a mu- um, 25 million in their budget dedicated to menstrual health so and that did not come about with people just not talking about it so i do think that we are part of change even though we don't see it the yeah. little yeah. tremors.
0: i'm gonna take that home with me <laughs> yeah very yeah. profoundly said about um how COVID, obviously threw a span in the works, and much like you, a little bit of the concern that the advocacy aspect of menstrual health has certainly ballooned in Kenya in the best way possible. But the more important nitty gritty changes are not really happening. I know the other day, Professor Magoha talked about 3.17 billion shillings been used for menstrual health in Kenya, reaching over 7 million girls. And some of the guests i spoke to saying where show me where they are Yeah, show so me. there's that massive disconnect yeah. um and so what sisters speak so what's what are you all doing in response to that in terms of impact uh what have you tangibly been able to do mm-hmm. um, as a result of this incredible advocacy that you've all been doing how is that translating as we speak to different schools different institutions tell us a little bit about the work you're doing
2: so when we started i always thought our stories are being told by women who don't look like us. So I felt, you know, I'm being t- told to use a reusable pad because it's, you know, there's all these um, uh, buzzwords around climate climate justice, uh, you know, being environmentally uh, friendly. So I thought someone else was telling my story, but the shift that ha- has happened is that we are telling our own stories because our experiences are very different. So it's you know, doing what we do um, as we are sitting on this table, that we are changing and shifting that conversation, that we are telling our own story. You know, we are using what we have, for example, the social media platform to say, you know, what you're giving us is the short, you know, end of the stick because the products are substandard. Uh, What you're giving for women in the global north is very different. And it's using what we have as Heels for Pads, as, you know, my first time, you know, to, to to call out this. Yeah. So shifting, shifting, you know, shifting the conversation. Uh, in terms of impact, we've been able to go to thirteen counties, all very diverse. Um, you know, for example, we are talking about baringo and we didn't understand how climate change actually affect girls and women. Because you have grown in this village and then all of a sudden it's under the water. So you don't know how to navigate that journey. So you, this is your school, and then it's submerged. So it shifts how you access, you know, education, guidance, you know, uh, menstrual supplies. So it has been very eye-opening, and uh, we've been very privileged in terms of, you know, being in the rooms with the likes of yours, like, just to share our, um, you know, ex- shared experiences and also um, talk about how we can hold the government accountable because you're dropping so huge numbers. But when we go to these schools, uh, we can't see those not for sale parts. We're actually being told, oh, they were here like six months ago. So what happens between when you last deliver the supplies and when donors come to donate? Girls don't have an on and off uh, button. So for us, we feel our part is to play that accountability. Um, you know, we, we are watching, Watch know, dogs we'll watch. of menstrual yeah, justice.
1: Exactly, Yeah, yeah. so um, we can't sit and watch and wait because uh, nothing will get done. So we have a project, and we uh, we've launched our second one this year. It's called Adopt a Dispenser. It's uh, putting pad dispensers in school, and just basically means that the girls know that there's a resource. While they're in school, they can access, it's a tech-based program where they get, you know, like an ATM card, they swipe on the dispenser and they get a piece of pad, so they get 12 12 swipes. And also uh, within that project, there's the menstrual health education, working with the schools, trying to do a 360, if we can get access to the parents, talk to the parents, and if it's a mixed school, also see how we can even work with the boys to be period allies. So we will not sit and wait, we will do what we can, and, and while we are doing our journey of our work and our project, find a way to use what we're doing to inform on policy and maybe create a research paper of what we found, adding to what Mo is saying, being the ones to tell our story. I shouldn't have someone in America, blonde, wh- uh, blue eyes, telling me what my solution
0: is to fix a problem in Masabit. You two are so rich with information. I'm sitting here, um, and this is the beauty for me, of being in a space where you have just incredible people coming in. is a lot more of the learning um, and kind of growing together. I just wanted to take a moment to fully appreciate how much work you've been able to do in just three years. 13 counties, pad dispensers. So kudos, if anything. If ever you wake up and say, this is a little hard, please remember the the trail and, and legacy that you're leaving behind it's unapologetic and it's bold, and I fully want to a- applaud you for that. Thanks. I want to hear about how you're paying it forward with advocacy through your own podcast and your own platform. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes. Gold <laughs> Overreact. Reacts. I had to say it with them, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> yeah, so
2: the basis of Overreact. Um, overreact is an invitation to overreact around gendered conversations. And the girls who are coming behind us to know that, they, you know, we've opened the door
0: and there's room for every one of us.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, and also we invite those with ovaries and those who come from ovaries. It's open. all
0: inclusive and diverse. Where can people listen to,
1: to overreact? Um, Sister Speaks Global is available on Spotify, Anchor, and Google Podcasts, but we are working with Capital FM, so you can also listen to it via their page, SoundCloud. So And it airs live on Mondays at 10.30. At
0: PM. 10.30 p.m. EAT. 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 Yeah. Very important to say that. Thank you yes. for that. Yes. Um, and of course, as I'm talking about this recording or podcast on our own social media platforms. I'd also love to include how people can continue supporting the work you're all doing because those pad dispensers, I think just that needs to be scaled because that's a very tangible uh, way to do the intervention. I feel like this is part one of a conversation that I'm going to have with you all. Um, There'll be a follow-up. I really wanted to say thank you for being part of um, sort of like relaunching season one of my first time podcast, which started and then stopped and continued. I thought it was so important to have your voices on here because you really are you don't know this, but you're pioneering a lot of things in the space, and that's incredible to see so congratulations, well done, thank you for your boldness, thank you for um just your intervention and how unapologetic you are in what you continue to do. There's a lot more that I feel I would have loved to uh, converse with you about. So I'm going to say, see you later and not goodbye. Yeah. And I'm going to link all of your information on our social media um, and we'll come back with another conversation soon. So thank you so much, Angela and Mo. Thank you for having us. Thank you, thank you and we can overreact. My first
2: time, my first time, my first time. My first time.